Welcome to the All Souls Episcopal Parish in Berkeley Sermon Podcast. This Sunday is the second Sunday after the Epiphany, and we hear from Emily Hansen Curran as she preaches from the lectionary, which was John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. As always, you can find more information or more sermons on our homepage, which is allsoulsparish.org. Hope to see you around sometime. visit Cana, you can still buy wine from this wedding. <laughs> I love that. Uh, that has nothing to do with anything we're talking about, but I thought it was funny. Um, so, the story we're in today. The story left me with a lot of questions. Uh, for starters, it begins on the third day. <laughs> what? The third day of what? Then Jesus and his mom are at a wedding, and the wine runs out, and uh, Jesus' mom lets him know that it's out, and seems to imply that he is the one to do something about it. And Jesus tells his mom that his time had not come. And this is where my questions really start. What does he know about himself? Like, what had he done at home prior to this moment? And in my imagination, it's sort of like a Harry Potter, I accidentally blew up my aunt into a balloon sort of situation. What and then, and then what would this hour have looked like? I mean, it, it doesn't seem to actually matter because she turns to him and essentially says something like, suck it up, buttercup, you're doing this thing. And Jesus appears almost whiny. But then he does it, this crazy thing. Well, I have a lot more questions, I'll stop here because this is the place that I got really hung up this week. And so it's here that I'd like to linger. The moment when Jesus changes his mind... But first, this idea of an hour. What's he talking about? What is this hour? From biblical scholars, scholars, they say that it appears he's talking about his hour of glory, the moment that he will be revealed for who he is, which has consequences in his world. And the consequences ultimately refer to the moment of his death. So, you know, kind of a big deal. But then there's this other thing happening with this concept of hour, while this hour might be a realized point in real time, it, it sure doesn't seem like he's talking about a real hour, as in, sometime in the hour I'm going to go to the store. Another way of saying this is that he wasn't talking about chronos time, sequential or chronological time. He's talking about kairos, a right or opportune moment in time. Chronos is quantitative. We can't exactly control it, though I often... I think we often hope we can, but we can count it. Kairos is qualitative. It's more like an art, striking a moment at the right time. Great speeches are often the product of kairos, words that strike at just the right moment when the audience is ripe for it. The speaker's tone and words aren't perfect, but they're perfect for that moment. And when these moments happen, something really profound happens for everyone in the room. People are lifted from time altogether. So it's this kind of thing for Jesus. And in this gospel account, he seems to be aware of what he's capable of doing, and also to understand that there will be consequences to revealing who he is. And because of that, he tells his mother, no, my hour has not yet come. Perhaps he didn't feel the circumstances were right, or Maybe he was scared or worried or had deep anxiety about the uncertainty of what would come next. 
But then his mother turns to the servant, and in this, like, you can kind of picture it, do whatever he tells you. And then that's it. That's the moment when Jesus changes his mind, and he shifts what he thinks and becomes open to a new possibility for this most important and appointed moment in his life. What happened there? We obviously can't know precisely, but this is what I sat with this week. I imagined what it could have been to change Jesus' mind on how he wanted to proceed through this life-altering moment. And I think there's something to learn here. I mean, I think Jesus models for us something in this moment. And it's what Rachel Held Evans called a wholehearted way of living. Here's what she says. The ancient rabbis understood the Hebrew phrase lev basar, which is translated as heart of flesh. To be a heart that is aware and attentive to its creator and to the rest of creation. In an interview with the writer Parker Palmer, Rabbi Ariel Berger explained that there's a Hasidic teaching from Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. There's nothing as whole as a broken heart. Berger went on to explain, in these traditions you cultivate a broken heart, which is very different from depression or sadness. It's the kind of vulnerability, openness, and acute sensitivity to your own suffering and to the sufferings of others that becomes an opportunity for connection. Later, she says, I've come to believe that wholehearted faith, like wholehearted living, requires taking risks, cultivating vulnerability, and embracing uncertainty. It demands that we admit all that we cannot know, and it encourages us to pursue it nonetheless. So in my imagination, Jesus is walking around with this version of a heart of flesh, one open and vulnerable, with an acute sense to the sufferings of others, and one embracing uncertainty. I think it's part of what makes him appear so mystical and confusing at times, because unpredictable things happen when you walk around with a heart like that. And in saying that, I can't help but think of a, a conversation that we as a staff team had this week if you watch the Soulcast, you'll have heard a snippet of it already. The short of it is that Jamie asked us to slow down and be brokenhearted. So Jamie, our, our music director, raised the question of whether or not we as a predominantly white congregation should be singing the song, Lift Every Voice and Sing, what has been called the Black National Anthem, on this civic holiday marked to remember Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. While wanting to lift up and stand alongside our black siblings, but also not wanting to succumb to tokenism, to sing this song as our only gesture towards writing the injustices of which it sings, or as symbolic progress, only to be relieved of the deeper work. We wrestled with what we should do. For my own part, I didn't know this hymn before coming to All Souls. It was not sung in the churches I grew up in, which I have theories about, but we'll stick to the subject at hand. And so I had not paid very close attention to the song over the years. But because we have a relationship with St. Paul uh, African Methodist Church here in Berkeley, at the African Methodist Episcopal Church here in Berkeley for these last few years while we've been doing these breaking bread, building bridges, uh, Phil decided to reach out to Pastor Tony Hughes of St. Paul AME to get his sense of things. And it was in his response that I knew my answer to the question. Uh, Pastor Tony texts back, hey Phil, I see no problem with anyone singing it, as long as they seek to resonate with the sentiment. Even lyrics like, full of the faith that the dark past has taught us can have meaning for non-African Americans. 
And so after lengthy discussion, I would say that our answer, and certainly my own, was found when we moved beyond the quandary of all the arguments for and against and moved into a space of wholeheartedness. Does this song drum up in me as a white person the sufferings of others? Can I also identify my own sufferings in this song? Can I feel what it's like to suffer and be reminded of the sufferings of others? And will that remembering move my mind, my heart, and my feet towards greater justice for these black siblings? What happens to us when we live in this wholehearted and brokenhearted way? What happened to Jesus? What happened to the water turned to wine? It's transformation. When we live with this kind of broken heart, the disruption of and the quandaries of Kronos can be an opportunity to transform us, what we think we know and what we think we believe. But I think there's one more thing worth noting about this story, and that's that this is a wedding. And the big miracle is that Jesus turns water into so much wine, like so much wine you can still drink it. Apparently. But he does this just to keep a party going. And that's how he chooses to spend this appointed hour. It's pure abundance and joy and excess. And so I found myself reflecting this week on why I was so taken with this part of the story. And I've realized that it's because in the midst of this very unhuman story about lots of, wine or lots of water turning into lots of wine, Jesus is extremely human. For one, he's presented with the scenario I think all of us have faced at one point or another. Brushing up against the needs of another, we find that our plans and time are disrupted. Speaking for myself, often my initial response is something like, what does your need have to do with me? But then Jesus lets himself get rattled. And this is where I hear all of us in this moment, because we are rattled people right now. The story of Jesus helps me see a way to live in and through that. That is, I don't think the point is to stand strong in the midst of the rattling. In fact, I think the point is to be very human right now, the way Jesus was, and to embrace our hearts of flesh and give in to the vulnerability and the openness and the uncertainty that bites at us. And then to let ourselves shift, to lay aside our plans and allow the moment to expand into a Kairos sort of moment. And if this story is any indicator of what can happen, embracing our heart of flesh and making this shift can open up new possibilities that will transform us and those around us, bringing joy and abundance in its wake. And that feels like great hope, because giving in to this season of disruption feels like just about all we can do at this point in time. How do we become people then who recognize when the time is right for something new? To know when a disruption in Kronos is a moment for transformation. How do I slow down these Kronos moments to see an opportunity for more? And I, I think the answer ultimately is to create a habit of wholehearted, brokenhearted living, something I think 
which is the life work of what it means to be a Christian.